right, grace and peace to you OCC peoples. Happy Father's Day again. Dads, this is my third year in a row preaching on Father's Day. I think Derek's gift to me is to force me to speak on the day I should be taking off. Just kidding. Thanks, buddy. I did that joke last year, and it was funny every time, so I'm going to keep making it. Um, but all kidding aside, if you missed last week, we, Derek started us in a new series, Playlist Psalms of the Heart. There it is. It's going to be, uh, it was really great. Uh, he basically did a Father's Day message last week, so I don't have to do that. I get to just do Psalm 16. Thanks, man. Uh, but I would be remiss. And I don't even know what that word means. It just feels like what you should say then. <laughs> if I didn't do at least one Father's Day joke, usually I do a list, but I'm only going to do one. I already got approval from my youngest, Sadie. So you ready? Ready for this? So we were at the fire station yesterday, and this call came out for animal bite. We'll ride the truck over there. You'll never believe this. This guy got bit by a matter daddy. <laughs> Nothing. I'm fine. How are you? Get it? What's the matter, Daddy? Hey, come on! That's a dad joke all day. <sighs> I love those jokes. Why is it when you turn to a dad and you get older, the stupider that it is, the more you just love it and have to tell it? Actually, two young guys at the fire station two shifts ago were literally on speakerphone calling everyone they knew doing that joke and laughing hysterically. No one ever laughed, so I don't know why I thought you guys would, but uh, they're going to be great dads one day. They really are, because their, their joke game's pretty good. But uh, all kidding aside, it is Father's Day, and we're in the playlist series, and my youngest daughter, Sadie, is my 15-year-old. My she's the last one that can't drive, so I get to drive her around a lot, and I, it's precious to me, you know? Not so much to her, but precious to dad. So I'm picking her up all the time, and as soon as she gets in the car, it's, she, she's doing her playlist, right? She's playing her tracks. And I know none of the songs, uh, but these are her songs. But for some reason, I'm like, I just try to sing them. I don't know where that comes from. It's a weird dad thing. So I'm just like, so she gets in the car, and I'm like, oh, hey, Sadie. Oh, she starts, I'm, oh, I like this. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm, Sadie, this is a good one. Oh, yeah. Ooh, eh. Sadie, I like this one, Sadie. Sadie, who sings this one? And I can just feel the stink eye coming off of her. And she's literally like, Dad, first off, stop repeating my name so many times. I'm the only one in the car. I'm sitting right next to you. Two, why are you singing songs that you don't even know and you don't even know who wrote them? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> because I think it irritates you and that's sort of fun as a dad, you know? Um, but, you know, it's, that's kind of like a sermon, which I'm not doing today. It's like, we do that, right? Like, we hear the songs of the world and we, from social media, Twitter, all the things, and we regurgitate them and we don't even know the origin of them or what they really mean, don't we? We really... It's kind of the way our society goes, but I'm not preaching on that today. I'm preaching on something much better. Psalm chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 16. I'm going to be in the ESV today. And um, this is 11 verses. It's awesome. There are 11 verses of so many tracks and songs we should be playing before our hearts and our minds. Reminders. And also, you're going to see a picture of our destiny. You're going to see a picture of Jesus' destiny, your, my destiny, how God was turning us into sons and daughters that were going to be heirs. Now remember that, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. This is the very ancient beginnings of what that looked like. It's super cool. I'm going to be very excited, uh, which may be a shock to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says this, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order 
that we may also share in his glory. Awesome. You're going to see that in these verses. Also, uh, this, this, I'm excited that Derek let me do this one because it's really cool. If you don't know the story of Pentecost, Peter literally quotes one of the verses from this psalm centuries after it was written. Okay, Pentecost, you're new to the faith. Jesus died, resurrects. He tells his disciples, go to the upper room. The promised one, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They go up there. They wait several days. Boom. Like a, a wind from the heavens comes in, fills the upper room. They literally see tongues of fire, and it rests on them. And the scripture says they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes out in front of thousands of people when he preaches the very first ever sermon post the resurrection. And he quotes three different Old Testament scriptures. One of them is verse 10 in Psalm 16, and you're going to see that. It's really cool. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is a famous uh, theologian preacher. He called this the psalm of the precious secret. Uh, the psalm of the precious secret. Because the Hebrews never knew what verse 10 meant. I'm, spoiler alert, you can go look it up if you want. Uh, but they just, they wondered. They, 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 they desired to understand what verse 10 meant. And they didn't know that it was talking about Jesus. So who wrote the book? Derek told us about last week. A lot of the psalms David wrote. David wrote this psalm, again, um, and if you're unfamiliar with him, he's like Israel's greatest king. And this prophet, his name was Nathan, God speaks to him, gives him a vision. He says, go tell David, this is his destiny. This is, this is my will forever. So he goes back and he tells David this, 2 Samuel 7, 16. And he says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Right? So this, for the Hebrews, this was, this was the thing, this, for, this forever kingdom. They were always waiting on a descendant of David, a son of David, to come and reestablish their earthly kingdom. Because if you know history, they're always getting busted up, taken over. They're always, you know, it's always in turbulence, wars, the, the capital's gone, now it's this. Always rebuilding, always waiting for an earthly kingdom that would be established forever, that nobody could take away. They were so used to their kingdom and their land being taken. So they pondered these things, right? For centuries, the son of David that would come and sit on the throne. All right, Psalm 16 starts with this. The first two verses are my most favorite, but the title of it is important. It's called the Mitkum of David. Now that word Mitkum did some research. No one really knows exactly what that means. There's a lot of conjecture there. But there's, this isn't the only psalm that starts with this. Psalm 56 through 60 also starts with the mitkum of David. And so what the consensus is that they believe this word means, that it means it's precious, like, like gold or treasure, like very valuable to you, like, like, in, like you, something so precious that you whisper it in the lonely places because it, it means so much to you. It's like this, the lonely, special places of prayer in your heart, and I like that, so... Again, it's conjecture, but I think they're probably on to something. So verse 1, you ready? It says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I love the very first word. I mean, as soon as I read it, I just immediately preserve it. like means so much to me in so many different ways. I'm turning 44 next week. And you younger people are going to figure this out. There comes a point in your age where you realize that you are starting to uh, decay. Like, 
You're getting old. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I, oh, tw almost 12 months ago, I hurt my ankle, and it hurt like every, for 12 months. It never stopped hurting. And I'm just tell you, I heard it at Summer Swell. I'm freaked out by Summer Swell. We were in this room, Derek was too, all the kids were in here worshiping, it was so awesome, and we just came off the beach, and they were just, oh, they were excited, we just kind of got caught up, so we were like, <laughs> we're all jumping with the kids, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Derek started doing it too, and then bam, flat tire, I was like, oh, oh, man, 12 months, I asked Sarah, I started buying these, uh, I got to preserve this thing, you know, I started buying these weird socks, nothing, icing it for you know, just one ankle. Who does that? I'm like, I'm icing my ankle. It just won't get better until literally like two weeks ago. I'm like, I think it's better. Like every day I wake up in the morning and I'm like, flat tire, it hurts so bad, you know? And finally I'm like, here we go, summer swell. It's like injuries, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm not preserving everything I'm trying is not working. The fire station, these older firemen were talking about this supplement their doctor gave them and his hair started to grow back. And I perked up. I was like, what? Is it, let me see, you know, he's doing this. He's like, check it out. I was like, one extra hair. You're like, what's that vitamin called? You know, I want to try that. Like preserving yourself physically. It's like, I mean, we can't even, I see the, I'm worried about all the teenagers at the beach, man. They don't even pedal their bikes no more. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Electric bikes. I just, as they pass by, I'm like, you need to get as strong as you can. Paddle your bikes. You won't be able to hold on to that extra strike forever, stupid. Um. Blue came over and got our piano that me and my boys moved. It weighed 5,000 pounds. Uh, it was the first time in my life I never was more happy watching two young men struggle carrying something in me just going, <laughs> yeah, thing's heavy, isn't it? <laughs> so glad that my, I mean, I'm watching my back. And my back's just feeling it as they're carrying it. Dumb. Let alone bananas. Who knows how to keep them from, from degrading? Um, preserving the body. But to me, it's like, preserve me, oh God. It like means a lot, but also it's not just... My body, it's like my mind, my, my heart, right? I mean, I just, the mental state, it's really what Derek was kicking off. We hear all these, we're trying to preserve ourselves carnally all the time in the playlist series about, no, we need, we, the carnal side doesn't work. We need the spirit of God. We need to play the songs that preserve us like this one. The word preserve is, is so cool. It means just English Webster's, conserve me, oh God, defend me, keep me, perpetuate me, Protect me, oh God. That's the song that we need to start playing for ourselves. Preserve me, oh Elohim. Because that what that word God translated, if you notice that word, that literally is the very ancient word for the Father, the Judge, the Creator, the Almighty of everything of the universe. Preserve me, oh Elohim, for you are my, my refuge. Help me, keep me when I'm weak. I'm lost, I'm confused, sometimes I don't think I'm going to meet. Keep me, God. Preserve me, Jesus. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Like, help me, God. I don't know what else to do. Preserve me. Defend me. Perpetuate me, God, because I'm feeling like I don't think I can keep this going. It's awesome to me. Keep me from the world. Preserve me from the world. Keep me from evil. Keep me from my anxiety. Preserve me from my fear. This is the track no one can do this for us but God, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Preserve me from my sin, from my addiction. Preserve me and keep me from my own shortcomings and my failures. Help me, God. Preserve me. And why? Why would we pray this kind of prayer to God, to Elohim, the creator? Because can there really be any other refuge? 
Is there any other place in this world we can go and actually find refuge and, and preservation and hold things together? He's the Elohim. He will never need to be preserved. He is incorruptible. He's the almighty, almighty creator of all things. He's the only one that can, it can be. It's like Derek was talking about. There. He's incorruptible, the, the majestic one. If you missed it last week, it was, it was awesome. He's the creator. Why him? There, there cannot be any other refuge. Think about it with me. Can there be anyone else? He's all we got. Apart from him, he says, God, preserve me. I, apart from you, I, I'm, I'm, there's no good in me. None. I, there's, I can't muster it up. I can't attain it. There is no good. I can't find it. I can't preserve it. I can't, I can't do this without you. It has to be you, God. It has to be you. Psalm 139, David wrote this too. No matter we, where we look in this life to try to preserve our hearts, minds, bodies, everything, no matter how much wealth, how much knowledge we store up, it all, we just, we've talked about this before, eventually we all come to that place where the corruption process starts, right? And David says this in verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit and where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. No matter what, no one but Jesus can be my refuge from it all. Even if I were to, uh, to me, David's like, even if I could build up enough works to maybe get to heaven, climb that ladder to get to the heavens, it's got to be, you're the only one. And if I, if I deserve the depths, the pit, you're, I mean, it's, it's everything is about you, Jesus. Even if I try to find the answers to life, I scour the entire planet, even the deepest parts of the sea, the ocean. It's you. It's only you, God. There's no one but you, Jesus. I was listening to this podcast. Uh, I've been listening to these Navy SEAL special operator uh, retired guys. I know macho, you know, but fireman macho. Uh, but they're really, really good. I mean, they, these guys have a lot of post-traumatic stress which I deal with also being a first responder. And they just talk about their war stories. It's awesome. But they go to a lot of counseling, and they're talking about their counseling, and I love it. And it's also like their spiritual journeys is so neat. But I was listening to this one guy who uh, has gotten a bunch of counseling, and his arm got blown off in Fallujah. And he was and he just all kinds of problems, man, you know. And he was sitting in uh, his counselor's office, and his counselor said this to him that intrigued me. He said, when the day comes, you realize you're the villain in your own story, you may be able to get somewhere. When you realize you're the villain in your own story, you might be able to get somewhere, which intrigued me listening to it. But I was like, no, that's wrong. It's, you're, there's nowhere to go. Where's he going to go? Whether you play the track over yourself that all your problems are your fault and you're the villain and everything is wrong with you and there's something disconnected from you and you're the problem, even if you play that over your life, something's missing. Where is there to go? Even if you wrestle with your demons, as they say, he was missing something. I liked where he was going, but he didn't realize that there is nothing. There is no refuge. There is nowhere to go without Jesus. Nothing can fix that, that brokenness, that corruption within us, the thing that started in the garden. There's no hiding from that, y'all. There's no refuge from it. This is what the, I think David was realizing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, it's you, no one but you, God. Whether we sing that song of ourselves, 
you know, that we're the villain and all that kind of thing. This guy, I just thought this when he said that, he needs to hear the song of the redeemed. What's the song of the redeemed? That Jesus saves and he died for the sinner and the villain. That he was the only one that can do it. If you want salvation, come to him. Give him your heart. Give him your life. No one, there's no good. And let's say you're not the villain, okay? We're not, I don't think I'm too bad. I'm a good person. Well, look, that's, okay, let's, let's play that song for a little bit. How much, how much goodness do you have in yourself? How much good knowledge, value, money, houses, property, how much kind works can you do to be good enough without God? I mean, come on, we know we don't. All of us have fallen short, right? Like if we were to be honest, if we were to sit before the great counsel of God himself, we couldn't tell him that we were good. That's what David's saying. Apart from you, God, there's no good in me. None. I, I don't have anything in me to make it happen. Whether I collect all the wealth of the world and all the knowledge like Solomon, the, uh, King Solomon, David's uh, son, even if I did all of those things, they were not going to preserve and they are going to rot away and disappear. They're like, like rubbish. Philippians 3, 7, and 8, I like the way Paul says it. this. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Incredible. Rubbish. That sounds like my Pittsburgh dad and grandpa. Oh, it's rubbish. But they're right. And I think if you look at this, David and Paul, thank you for having me. Uh, David and Paul figured out that there's no amount of good works, right? No amount of accomplishments, no amount of wealth that you could store up that's going to make you whole, that's going to make you cleansed. There is no place that we can go apart from him. No one but God can make me whole. No one can God can truly make me good and you good right? John 15, Jesus says it like this. It's so awesome. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. In me, you will bear so much good fruit, but apart from me, you will bear nothing. There will be no good in you. No amount of, of gardening yourself and collecting and treasure hunting you can do is ever going to be enough. If you haven't heard the parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God, they're so cool. In Matthew 13, he talks about there was a treasure buried in a field, and when a man discovered this, he went and gave all of his wealth, all of his money to go and buy the field where the treasure was. Or there was a, there was a, a, a person that found out about a pearl, a very rare, very rare pearl of great worth, and, and they went and sold everything they had so they could attain this pearl. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Have you ever seen those treasure hunter shows? Uh, where they go and like look for like treasure and stuff. I love those shows. Um, they, there was the other day I was watching one and these guys somewhere off of Bermuda or something like that, they found an old like uh, 1600s pirate ship. And I don't know how deep it was, but it was neat. And the guy's scuba diving down there and we're just sitting there watching. And he's like, oh my gosh, I found an old cannon. And I was like, wow, we found an old cannon. And he swims over to it and it's like, that's it? Like, it kind of looked like the shape of a cannon, but it was like covered in barnacles and it's like kind of, you know, all nasty. And I'm like, whoa, that's a cannon, you know? And it's like, and I'm just thinking about Jesus telling these stories and I wonder if he's like, humans, peoples, you guys get excited about this old barnacle covered rusty cannon. 
do you not realize what I offer? Right? Like when you're in your ship and you got your cannons on it and you got all your treasure in there and the storms of life come and they smash into your ship and you watch those cannons, those cannons, those weapons you used to use, right? Are you tracking with me? To keep the world at bay, they fall off into the sea, never to be used again. And all your treasures and all your knowledge begins to fall into the ocean and you cannot preserve it. Do you not know that I am the refuge from the storm? Right? Even if you were to protect yourself, it's better. Even if you were able to somehow insulate yourself from the, the things of life, even every single treasure that you'll ever collect, the moths are going to eat, he said. But what I offer is everlasting. It starts now and the heart will never end, and you will never end. To those who call on the name of Jesus, they give him his life. He's making you a son and daughter, a co-heir with Christ for treasures that never fade sonship and daughtership that will never end, an everlasting inheritance. So awesome. He's, and he's not just doing it for me. He's doing it for his whole church. That's why he died. He's doing it for his bride. Look at the bride with me and her in verse 3. He says this, As for the saints in the land, that's us, that's his bride, that's his church, they are the excellent ones. God, what a cool word to put in there. In him in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, and their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on their lips. Look at this with me. He's doing this for his sons and daughters, and not just, these are the, the ones that God calls the excellent ones, the saints. He loves them. Jesus died for them, and he loves them, and he wants us to love them because they're our brothers and sisters, right? Not just like, well, it's family. I have to like them, but I really dislike that guy. He's so irritating. No, not, he's saying delight in them. Gosh, these are the excellent ones. These are the saints. These are the people that Jesus came and bled and died for, and he loves them. He wants us to delight in them. I realize church people, I've been a church person since I was 15, Church is messy. Church people are weird and irritating, um, and we make each other mad all the time. I got it, right? And we, we got a lot of issues and shortcomings, but this is what I want to say from these verses. I think it would do us all good to play this track from time to time. In spite of those shortcomings and failures, God wants us to love each other through delight. Just look up Webster again. Delight means to be pleased with one another, to be glad for to be thankful for, to be satisfied in, to be happy with, to be grateful for, to be in joy when you're together, thrilled that your names are written in heaven together and tell as many people as we can all around us. Like he says in verse four, God is not the one walking away. The world, we are running away from God trying to find this preservation, trying to find this refuge. And let's tell him like, look, that, that it's, the only thing you're going to find at the end is corruption is still there. The only thing you're going to find at the end is a cup of blood, the blood of death. There, there's only sorrow when you run away from God. He is not far. Give him your heart in your life. This is the preacher guy message that all of us have been hearing that grew up in church our whole lives. Give Jesus your heart and give Jesus your life. Well, you see that here, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance or treasure. 
The word portion to the Hebrews, it was a tie to your fate, your destiny, your dreams. So he's saying, I'm giving you all that was me. You are now my, my destiny, God. And life, a poured out life was like an, a drink offering of your life. I, I give you my portion, my cup, my heart, my life. I give it all to you. There's no refuge anyway, so I'm giving it all to you. And what do I get in return? Oh my gosh, there's so much freedom in these words. If we would wrestle with them, he, the lines are drawn for me. The boundaries of my lot have been set. The treasure, the inheritance that God has, has marked out for me is beautiful, and I'm going to love it. Can you imagine? That's what he wants to say to you today. No matter things of life are going, he's like, in him, the lines are drawn. It's beautiful. The inheritance, the treasure that he has. Or like Jesus says in Matthew 16, very famous verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it. There is no other refuge. There is no preservation carnally that we will find. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what happens? What, when, when we, what will we get when, when you and I, when we, we give up our portion and our cup, we get something that never, pays, that never perishes? Like I said, there's so much freedom in there. Like we bought a house eight years ago in Neptune Beach, and it was perfect, you know, and everything was felt like it was new and everything. In the last three years, new roof, very expensive. All new pipes, very expensive. I've sodded three times. You know how many times of sod that is? Like, it's like, I mow the grass, I see like one moth fly, and I'm like, oh God, sod webworms, I'm gonna have the most resod. Like, my refrigerator, it was still cold, but I literally asked my kids, I duct taped one of the drawers, uh, and I did a great job, you know. But it's not because I'm cheap, I am cheap. I, but the refrigerator's still working, but I'm like, I don't want to buy a new one for a shelf. You see where I'm going with this? Like, I'm struggling to contend with my own lot here on earth. Like, no, no matter how much effort I put in, the, the fences decay, the roof starts to leak. You can pressure wash all you want. Eventually, that siding's going to have to come off. See what I'm saying? It's hard enough just on my lot, but God has a place for me, right? That, where the lines and the landscape are always beautiful and always pleasant. This is what treasures in heaven looks like. Verse 7, it just keeps getting better. We're almost to the end. You're going to love all of this stuff, I promise. It says this, Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. This is so awesome. In the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. I love that this is added, that he's, he gives me counselor. He's my counselor. Isaiah calls him his counsel uh, wonderful. It just, to me, it like illuminates everything. All the verses, it's like the spirit of God is my counselor and he's showing me like, look, you can't preserve. There is no refuge. You're not good. I'm, I'm the one that's counseling you to this space, right? He's just, it, it, it's so cool. And in the night, it makes me think I'm 22. Or I was 22 when we had our first baby, Asher. And I was green, man. Uh, and he was a little guy I know that's young, you know, there's people that have kids younger than me, but I felt like I was the first 22-year-old that I'd ever had a baby before. I was like, oh my God. And Sarah was so tired, we brought him home, and this dude, he could not sleep at all. We didn't realize that he had a deviated septum and he couldn't breathe well. So she's in, the, in there sleeping, and I'm just, he, I'm standing over, in, over him over the crib, and he's just wrestling around like, ah, he can't breathe. I feel, I'm like, it's okay, buddy. You don't have to be afraid. Dad's here. I'm like, oh God, that's me. You know, you know, I mean, I kind of liked it, but also freaked. I'm like, I'm going to, it's easy. I know you'd rather have her, but she needs a break. Trust me. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, and every generation of doctors wants to scare 
the crap out of new parents because they're like, look, whatever you do, do not let this child, this infant, sleep on its stomach. And you're like, why? Just don't do it. You're like, oh, my God. And it changes every year. They're like, oh, this year, stomachs. You got to go stomach. So he's rolling around on his back. He can't breathe. And I'm like, oh, man. So I reached into him. I flipped him over. And as soon as his stomach hit, the bam, sleeping like a baby. And I was like, oh. All night, I just stared at him just to make sure to watch his little body uh, breathe. Because they told me never do it. But I'm like, I have counseled him. I am giving him rest. I don't trust you. You know, stupid. You see where I'm going with this whole idea? It's like, that's us. It's like we're, we, we're wrestling around trying to find rest and peace, and God's just over and say, look, don't be afraid. I'm your father. Let me counsel you. Let me show you the way. Even in the night, even when it's hard, even when you can't sleep, I'm near. I'll watch over you all night. This is what, the God, this is what our God is like, you know? Yeah, there it goes, tears, Father's Day. Um, but also just the idea of setting the Lord before me, and he's at my right hand. That's, a military, that's military stuff. They're, se- they're setting the posts of war in front, the banners. You ever heard the whole, you know, where we get the banners thing? And the guy that fought at your right was, all, if you were the general, the guy on your right was always your best warrior. He was your strongest guy. You always wanted him there. This is a picture of God for us, you and I. That he stakes, the, as we see, he comes before us, and he, the banner's been drawn for the fight that's ahead, and he fights right next to me like a best friend, closer than a brother, that will, will, will give his life. Even if you're, you're going to perish, he's going to be right there with you fighting. And when do we fight in life, really? It's like when things are going hard, right, and troublesome and difficult. We feel like we're in a fight for our lives. Man, can you imagine if we, if we just played that song, reminded ourselves, I've set the Lord before me always, and he's at my right hand fighting for me. He's contending with me. He's counseling me. He's never going to leave me. This is what God is like. It's awesome. So what happens to us, right? So this is a, I told you about co-heirs. Here it comes. What happens, this is David. He's writing these things. And what happens to humans when we, we let the Spirit of God counsel us, we realize there's nothing else but him, no one but Jesus. Look what it happens here. Verse 9, it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices in joy physically everything, all the way down, whole being, my flesh dwells secure. And here's the secret of Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the pit, or let your Holy One see corruption. Remember, I told you they wrestled over this thing. This was the track that David played, and nobody knew who was going to sing it. They were waiting on this descendant, the son of David, to reestablish the kingdom, and they're like, what is he talking about? Is David talking about himself? Well, he expects to go. Don't, he won't abandon me to the pit, but he expects to go there because he's, think about the way it's written. Well, he's, a, he's anticipating going to the pit, but he's not going to be abandoned. And then it says this, he won't find corruption. I mean, is he talking about himself? There's no way. As he dies, everyone dies, and the corruption of the flesh begins. Could it be that he, there, he's missing something? Here's the part that's really incredible. The answer to the question is yes. He is talking about himself. Prophetically, he didn't realize that what we get in Jesus and we get in the resurrection, he resurrects and we get one too. Even though I may die and I may go into the grave, and David did too, he could foresee a resurrection. 
Job did too. He said, in my flesh I will see God. And this is what Peter, I told you about Pentecost, was preaching. He, he goes out under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he tells thousands of people, you guys killed him. You put him on a cross and you killed him, but you didn't know. You didn't know that he was the one. He was the Holy One. He was the son of David and the grave could not contain him. You guys did not see it, but I'm here to say he's not in the pit and his flesh is, is alive and he has resurrected from the dead. Now look what, look at, uh, I'll, I'll just let you see what he says. Verse 29, so awesome of Acts 2. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch, David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Remember, they were always pondering this, trying to figure out what it meant. But therefore, a prophet, it's the only time you see David being called a prophet. It's pretty cool. This is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set his descendants on his throne. This is crazy. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he would not be abandoned, and his flesh would not see corruption. That was what Peter was connecting for us. After Jesus goes into heaven and the Spirit of God comes, every other path was only going to lead to corruption, to decay. Oh, it's so cool. Except for this one person the son of David, Jesus, who the grave could not contain. No one could do this but Jesus. I can't preserve it. David couldn't preserve it. You can't preserve it. It was only, always, always going to be Jesus. Before the foundations of the world, that's why he was crucified. Incredible. And so look at verse 11 with me. After all of this stuff is said, he says this, you have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. That's heaven. That's our destiny. That's the, that's the full and final revival, the completion of revival. That's what it looks like. Uh, the late Tim Keller, I want to honor him as we begin to close this message. He, I think the, this quote of his about resurrection and heaven are so good. He says this, the resurrection was God's way of stamping paid in full right across history that so nobody could miss it. But resurrection is not a consolation. It's a restoration, a full preservation. We get it all back. Think about it with me. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones. Let that one sink in for those of you that have lost loved ones. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauty of this life. But in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength in their him is complete, completed joy and pleasures forevermore. Um, so awesome. Tim Keller, he had such an impact on the world, and me included. But he's right, you know? Like, if you, if you haven't heard the story in Luke 18, there was this blind man that was known as a beggar. And um, he was standing on the side, he was sitting on the side of the road begging, and all this commotion starts, right? And he hears, like, there, a crowd is forming. He can't see uh, but he's, he, hey, what's going on? And they look down at this guy and they say, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Right? And when he realizes it and he realizes that Jesus is getting ready to walk by, he just starts to shout out, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And all the people in the crowd start telling him to shut up. Be quiet. And I just thought about, I thought about that today. It's like, can you imagine how many times as he begged on the side of that road, people told him to shut up. How many, the songs that they played over him, you're worthless, 
You're a beggar. You're abandoned. Nobody loves you. Nobody wants to take care of you. You're not worthy of love. Over and over and over as he begged just for any kinds of sustenance or love or connection, they just played those songs over and over and over and over again, telling him he was worthless. But they, they just keep telling him to shut up, and he can't contain it anymore. He just starts saying it louder and louder. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that Jesus stopped, and, he, and, he, and they had him brought before him. And now let me tell you, Jesus will always stop every time. When you call out for mercy, never not call out to Jesus. He will always stop. He will always come to you. That's what he's like. And I just picture in my mind's eye as they bring this man before Jesus who can't see him. I just picture Jesus with this grin on his face. For he knew that this poor beggar had figured out who he was. He was the holy one from Psalm 16. He was the son of David. The one they'd all been waiting for. The only one, no one but him could, could stop the corruption. He was the only one that could defeat death. The, the grave couldn't hold, and this, this blind man figured it out. And what does Jesus do? He's literally asking him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. Gosh, any request that we make to Jesus when he stops, you know, this is what the father is like, like a, like a good dad. Not all of us have had good dads. Some of you have, some of you haven't. But this dad... The Elohim, the creator, the son of God, Jesus himself, when we cry out for mercy and we ask for healing, that's what he starts to do. He starts to heal him, give him back his sight. He begins to preserve him. He begins to sing a new song over him. The world says you're worthless, but to me, you're one of my excellent ones. The world says you're unlovable and, un and, and nobody cares about you, but to me, I would give my life for you. The world says you don't have any friends and you're not worth spending any time with. And Jesus says, I'm always at your right hand and I will fight the death because I love you. Some of you in here today need to hear that song. You need to play that track, don't you? Some of you in here... People have been saying things and speaking things over you that are lies. And man, when you, it's just like any lie. The more times you hear it and the more times that it's told, the more you start to believe it, don't you? It's time to hear a new song. Some of you need some preserving. I know I do. Not just physically, but my heart and my soul. I need God to preserve me. I need, I need to step into the refuge. Instead of trying to figure everything out myself, I need to go, wait a minute. He's my hiding place. He's the safe place. He's the place that I can go and I have no more worries because he's counseling me because he's good and he's always with me. Some of you, you need to hear God say, look, the lines and the lot that I've plotted out for you is beautiful. Just let it all go. All the struggle, all the difficulty that you're working through in your life, all the stress, come to me. Cast your cares and your burden before me so I can tell you that I have, I have, a, I have, I have a treasure for you that you're going to love. One that you'd be willing to give your whole life for. This treasure that I give, you would give all of it. I promise you that's what my kingdom is going to be, be like for you. Nobody can do this but Jesus. Will you stand?